0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man?
1: Not much. A lot of stuff happened this weekend. A lot of head-scratching plays involving special teams and two-point conversions. might touch upon that second point in a blog post later this week, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of jaw dropping <laughs> was had uh, from baseball to football to you know college football and the NFL. Yeah, you, know, you might be wondering what we're doing back already on iTunes. We already posted an episode uh, a couple days ago talking about the, the 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 NBA, which is coming up. But we had to get that preview rolling out. It kind of pained us because what happened over the weekend and with the MLB playoffs, some crazy stuff was happening so much so that we needed to get back in here and record and talk about it and t- just talk about what happened, uh, just the past few days. And so we're giving you a second episode, just how so happens to be our 50th episode as well. So, you know, on, on the 50th anniversary of our episode, not anniversary, <laughs> on the celebration of our 50th episode, we figured, uh, we'll, we'll give you, uh, twofold the content on this week so sit back relax and enjoy we're gonna talk some playoffs we're gonna talk some football uh chris what was what, what game do you want to start with first what event uh had you the most
1: well a ton of things happened in football but there's a playoffs going on in baseball and i think that those events were a little more impactful given what they're playing for and i think we should start right off the bat with the blue jays and the rangers a very crazy game five with an inning that lasted 53 minutes. For those of you non-baseball fans out there, its general rule is about three innings to an hour. So a 53-minute inning is insane. And it wasn't just that it was 53 minutes. I think everything that possibly could have happened in baseball happened in those 53 minutes. You had a a run score on a throwback to the pitcher's mound. Bob, I've been watching baseball a very long time. I don't think I've ever seen that play be so impactful. It's such a standard play. The catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher after a pitcher's thrown. But this time it hit off the bat of the batter, which means it's a live ball and the runner on third scored what was at the time the go-ahead run for Texas put them up 3-2. to two.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, Shinsu Chu causing that run, the score. So does that mean? I mean, Ken Rosenthal brought out the rule book and started reading rules about it. Does that mean a batter could stay in the box and try and hit the ball as it's thrown? No, and, it,
1: it has to be unintentional. The umpire oh, yeah, ruled you're right. that it was unintentional. I mean, he was just holding his bat out there, and the ball hit off of it. He didn't. There was no intent. And they even reviewed it on instant replay, so that the intent part of it has to come in but but yeah Chu didn't interfere at all it just bounced right off his back for what It was a weird play
0: Yeah, I mean for whatever reason Chu did not take a full step out of the batter's box, So he was a little bit unnaturally close to the catcher and he was extending his arm and bat out But still for that to happen in the playoffs I mean how many times does the ball get thrown back to the pitcher in a game in a day in a 162 game season? We never see that. And then for it to come and, and, and show up game five of a playoff is uh, is crazy. I mean the thing I think about most is like the controversy that A.J. Perzinski caused ten years ago, like when the catcher was interfering with, with the batter when the Chicago White Sox were went in the World Series, but I don't even think that was as impactful as this, which actually cost it a run. It was crazy. And that wasn't even the most crazy part of this inning.
1: No, that's the funny part is that that was just the appetizer. The main course came in the bottom half of the inning when Texas, no, yeah, when Texas was playing defense up 3 to 2 and they pretty much just lost it. Three consecutive errors, two on Elvis Andrus who bobbled a ground ball, bobbled an easy throw that would have gotten it out on third and all of a sudden the Blue Jays had bases loaded. The fourth play wasn't technically an error because they still made an out, but it was definitely a mistake, a blooper into shallow right. The second baseman and right fielder had a communication breakdown, couldn't get the ball. They still managed to throw the second to get the runner out because he was stuck in no man's land. So technically not an error because they made an out, but it did cause a run to score, the tying run to score. And then the very next batter, I'm sure most of you have seen the bat flip by Joe, Jose Batista. Crushed it. I don't think that ball has landed yet. And just, hey, it, it, in, my, in my opinion, I think it was well worth it, Bob. But what did you think? Do you think he was, quote-unquote, respecting the game with that little bat toss?
0: I think it was the perfect ending to that inning. Uh, you hear the crowd roaring it felt like you're in a soccer game not a baseball game that was the loudest i've heard at mlb crowd as he hit that home run they were loud for a really long time and then for him to just throw the bat like that i mean it it was it was baller man (laughs) there's nothing that's that is if if the blue jays continue to to win in the playoffs if they win the world series that's going to be an iconic moment it probably already is starting to be one but yeah that's going to go down in history as as one of the craziest innings and that that bat flip is going to be the image of that inning uh it was crazy and for for elvis andrews who is uh one of the best shortstops in the mlb for him to commit two errors in the playoffs this is a guy that's been with all the rangers teams of late that have gone to the playoffs i mean what are the odds of that happening for him to commit two errors in a game? I mean, essentially giving up that's two, two extra outs right there. Mitch Moreland's error on the throw was a, was a potential double play ball. So that's, you know, four extra outs that the Rangers gave the blue Jays and then for it to culminate on a Jose Batista bat flip beganza home run, that was ridiculous. The bench is cleared twice in this inning. Uh, it's one for the ages, for sure.
1: Fans throwing stuff on the field, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, They got to get that under control, because I, I, don't, I did not like that about the fans in Toronto. I love their passion, but they got to not throw stuff on the field. You know, take it from Cleveland. It can end badly when you start doing things like that. But to your point, I think the biggest error of the three was the one that cost them the double play. Because the first error, obviously bad on Andrews, But the second error, had they turned that double play, whole new winning. Whole new winning. The guy doesn't sacrifice bunt. That third error doesn't happen. I mean, it's a whole new winning. You have two outs, nobody on, instead of no outs, two men on. And then bases loaded after a third error. And then a run scores on a mistake, but not really an error because they still made an out. So you have three straight errors and then a mistake four straight plays where the texas rangers defense just imploded if you're a texas fan first off i'm sorry but this is what it's like to watch the cleveland browns every sunday and secondly you've got to feel awful just completely awful
0: yeah definitely uh guy i feel most bad for is cole hamels who left that inning with the lead had pitched relatively well only gave up two runs struck out eight over 6.1 innings and he's just watching the team evaporate before his very eyes maybe if he was on the mound things would have worked out differently but man yeah when things go bad in baseball when a team is struggling mentally in the playoffs especially things go bad terribly and things that you thought you would never see in a regular season game just start happening like elvis andrews two errors in an inning it's What an inning, man.
1: (laughs) You want to say the pressure doesn't get to these guys, but clearly some of these teams, they just kind of buckle a little bit. You got to wonder if it has something to do with playing on the road in a postseason environment. A, A very big moment for a lot of these players. So, hey, they're human too. They make mistakes, but that's why the playoffs are fun. But speaking of taking pitchers out too early, the Royals-Astros series may have been decided on Game 4, not Game 5. Houston had a 2-1 lead and a 6-2 lead going into the 8th inning. They took out their starter, Lance McCullers, I believe, the inning before. I think he went 6-2. and two-thirds. And then the bullpen proceeds to completely implode. Five runs in the 8th. I believe they had four or five straight hits, the Royals did, without recording it out. And then two more in the ninth. They win that game and then go on to win the series. Bob, do you, I mean, easy to criticize in hindsight, but do you think they should have maybe left McClellars in a little longer? And why didn't they yank their reliever when it was clear he was struggling? I mean, he gave up like four straight hits. He had the bases loaded, no outs. Why not make a change then to maybe switch it up before they do? the Royals can do any damage?
0: I don't know. Lance McClellars had 110 pitches that inning or that game. He's only pitched one hundred ten pitches in his entire career once, so I think they pulled him right when they wanted to, and unfortunately, it did not work out for them. But I, it's hard to criticize them for pulling him at that moment. He's a kid that is obviously on a pitch count that has never pitched past the seventh inning. Oh, he he pitched past the seventh inning once in his career. He pitched a complete game one time, but other than that, he's always yanked in the seventh inning. So. It's hard to criticize them for doing that, uh, sticking to their routine. The Astros bullpen was bad in the postseason. Plus six ERA, they had the worst bullpen ERA in the postseason through six games played for them. Uh, this is a bullpen that was piecemealed together and was a top six bullpen in ERA throughout the regular season. Uh, they had a really high bullpen ERA in September, and that just turned around to bite them in the postseason uh yeah i don't know why harris stood in for so long uh he's credited with four hits and three earned runs he probably should have been yanked a little bit earlier but i don't know who if they had somebody else in mind to to put in like harris was the guy that they were trusting so i think it was a bullpen an error in in the bullpen but not an error in pulling out mcculler's
1: Personally, I don't like to criticize in hindsight. I know that these decisions are made in the heat of the moment, and you're right. McClellar's throwing 110 pitches definitely should have been yanked. I mean, that was an appropriate time to yank him. Harris got a hold in that first inning he came in. He got the two outs there, but he didn't record an out in the eighth, and he gave up, I believe, four straight hits. And I think When you have the bases loaded with no outs, it's pretty apparent that the guy you brought in doesn't have it. And you're playing for a closeout series here. I think this is the situation you saw the Mets do it against the Dodgers. You bring in your closer for a six-out save. You put in your best reliever and hope he can put out the fire in the eighth and shut him down in the ninth. And really put all your chips on the table right then and there. You're holding on to a four-run lead. You don't want them to get back into this. You're at home. You don't want to go back to Kansas City. I think that was the series right there. I think before the damage had been done, they should have yanked Harris and put in who they thought was their best reliever. That would have been Gregerson, and hope that he can finish out the game without giving up any damage. Obviously, in hindsight, but at the same time, you know it is what it is. Decision was made. And credit to the Royals for coming back and winning. You know, the Royals then brought in Wade Davis for a two-winning save after they had come back in the eighth. So I think the Astros should have gone to Griegerson when it was clear Harris didn't have it. Hope he can put out the fire. He had four runs to give. So even if he gives up a hit, not the end of the world. But I think that's what they should have done.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue against that um i think the the astros thought that they had a cushion in game five but in my opinion they should have went for the kill here to go back to a game five with the royals giving them some momentum uh you know you you had you had the lead you should have tried to capitalize on that and and close this thing out game four and, and put in your best reliever you're right
1: well we did mention that mets doing sort of the similar thing But the way they got there was a little bit unorthodox. Another one of those plays that just you don't see every day. And it's another reason for me to rail against using the shift. I love that it came against the team using the shift because I hate the shift in baseball. But the Dodgers played the shift, which for those of you who don't know, it's when you take, instead of playing two guys on each side of the infield like normal, one guy, usually the shortstop or the third baseman, will shift over to the other side of the field Against a left or right-handed hitter, when it's clear that he always hits the ball to that side of the field, so the Dodgers were in the shift. They had three guys on the second, first base side of the field, and their other defender was playing shortstop, so close to second base. Well, the the hitter drew a walk, and Daniel Murphy. Walked to second base like normal, but he noticed that nobody was covering third. The guys in the shift didn't get back over, so he sprints around second and gets the third. Uncontested. And then the next play, a sack fly, he scores. Murphy had a very big postseason. Uh, that game five was no different. I believe he also had a home run in that game. But Bob, what did you think of that play?
0: It's a heads-up play, and it's hard to pick another player more... MVP worthy than Daniel Murphy, Murphy at this point in the postseason He had the RBI double to start off the scoring for the Mets. He singled advanced to second and then stole third like you said and, and scored the tying run for the Mets and then he hit the go-ahead home run w- <laughs> I mean he is powering this team uh, Who would have thought it was Daniel Murphy when you have guys like Cespedes Granderson and Wright, but uh, He already has five home runs in the postseason has homered off of guys like Clayton Kershaw Zach Greinke, and now in the NLCS, he's done off Jake Arrieta. I mean, this guy's locked in and is the most unlikely of sluggers to be locked in, in in the postseason, but he is single-handedly carrying the Mets. I mean, they have a really good pitching staff for sure, but he's the one initiating that offense more times than not, and uh, it's it's really cool to see a kind of unlikely character come through and come up big for the for a championship caliber team.
1: Yeah, that's always a fun part of the playoffs. The unsung hero. You know, Daniel Murphy is a very strong player. Don't get me wrong, he's sitting third in their lineup for a reason. But I think most people would have bet on suspidus or maybe even Granderson and Wright before they got to Murphy. So Murphy just reasserting that he is a very strong player, very heads up player, he scored two out of their three runs that game too, so very, very strong effort, and he was involved in all three of their runs generated in that elimination game. So, obviously, the Mets are very excited over in New York. They're a team that not many people pick to make the playoffs, maybe as a dark horse, maybe sneak in as a wild card, certainly not as a division champion over the Nationals. And right now, you know, for them to take on LA take on Grinky and Kershaw twice. I mean, they threw those two guys four times out of five games and they won, they still won the series 3-2, the Mets that is. And now, you know, going into NLCS having a chance to get to the World Series. How do you like this for a league championship round? Royals, Blue Jays, and Mets Cubs. I mean, if you if you like mixing things up a little bit, you certainly got what you wanted because these teams traditionally have not been very good. For a very long time, and quite frankly, it, it is kind of refreshing for for some new faces to get in there.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think the Jays were of these teams, the last team to win a World Series, and that was in '93. So it's good to have some fresh, some fresh blood playing for the World Series. uh Just one last thing about Daniel Murphy: his highest home run total of a season is 14, and he already has five in the postseason. I mean talk about a guy that is just most unlikely power (laughs) surge you've seen in the postseason Uh, it's pretty great and to also to kershaw and granke's credit because i think they get a lot a bad rap of of choking in the postseason they turned in some really solid efforts and lost i mean i think at the most kershaw gave up three runs in an outing granke had i think a one run outing and a two run outing i mean they've Pitched really, really well. It wasn't like they choked. It's just the Mets got some timely hits, and they have a three-headed monster in their pitching staff that is actually very, very good, and just as good as anybody else's rotation in this postseason.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point with Granky and Kershaw this year. It certainly can't place it on them. I think they pitched well every time they uh, took to the mound. I think I think Kershaw gets that reputation because. I think the last couple years in the postseason, he's been lit up at least one of those games, but this year he certainly was was not, and he pitched very well in the two games that he, he started for them. So, yeah, I don't think it would be fair to blame them. I, I just think that, you know, if you go into a postseason series and have to face those two guys four out of five games, I would probably say you're going to lose that postseason series. But as you pointed out, they also had to face the Mets guys you know four four out of five games and heck all five games i think the mets have a bit deeper rotation than dodgers because i'd take their three guy over whoever you considered the dodgers three guy so hey it was a great pitching matchup and the mets just came out on top but you gotta credit murphy for making a heads-up play and then you know delivering a, a huge home run
0: yeah absolutely uh so we're talking about key moments and key plays i think nothing compares to what happened at the end of the game in Ann Arbor. Chris, you watched it live. What was your reaction of Michigan, Michigan State, and how that thing ended?
1: It was a very subdued reaction because with 10 seconds left, Michigan was running out the clock. Well, not with 10 seconds left. On that whole drive, their three players were just standard run-out-the-clock drives, and you knew that they would have to run another play at 10 seconds because they just couldn't get all the clock out with three plays. So, as a standard punt formation, I was actually on my cell phone typing up a tweet uh, for Friendly Road Sports, and it said, Who had Michigan versus Iowa in the Big Ten preseason championship game? Luckily, my superstition is don't post anything till the game's over. I, I never do anything like that. I wait till the game is absolutely over. And for whatever reason, I always do it. It's just drilled into me. And thank goodness for that, because had I posted that tweet, I would have looked really foolish. Because that's why you always wait till there's zeros on the clock. I look up, and all of a sudden, Michigan State has the ball. I see the fumble. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, they could kick a field goal." No, wait, they're gonna score. and and they, and they run into the end zone. And I'm just like, "What the heck just happened?" I, I was so shocked that it happened that my reaction was very subdued and just just complete befuddlement that Michigan State actually won this game it was unbelievable the punter fumbled the snap but then I don't know what he was trying to do throw it he fumbled it whatever it wounds up in Michigan State's hand now it's hard to ask a punter to kind of take a sack there because that's not something he's used to but had he taken a sack there had he just clutched up on the ball and not panicked which again, punter is not in that situation very often he's not a quarterback you know you can understand the panic but had he done that michigan state would have been left with maybe four seconds left you can't kick a field goal they were out of field goal range you pretty much have to go for a hail mary i I like michigan's chances still even though certainly connor cook or cook is uh capable of making a 40-yard throw to the end zone hail mary is a a kind of a crapshoot but yeah that certainly was the play of the year so far in college football and if you're a Michigan fan you are just completely dejected
0: yeah absolutely free <laughs> I mean there are a lot of memes going around about shock Michigan fans right now check those out they're really funny um this happens once a year I feel like uh, a team on the verge of winning a huge game loses in an epic fashion uh I think the the one that comes to my mind most recently is the, that that Alabama Auburn game with the kick, re- yeah. the field goal return for a touchdown that ended up costing Alabama a shot at the title, sent Auburn to the title instead. Um, yeah, <laughs> what a crazy ending to what was supposed, what was gonna be Jim Harbaugh and Michigan's coronation. I mean, they had won some some very good games by shutting out opponents. They played Utah really tough first week and this is going to be their their announcement game and they were they were ready they were 10 seconds away but uh you know nothing means more in college football than the win or the loss regardless of how you played and michigan state's still undefeated and michigan is now a two lost team so that's just how it works i feel really bad for michigan but that's just how it works and it's uh it's pretty shocking i i wonder though if were, were they really out of field goal range if he took a sack with that ball, you know, punted back five yards from the line of scrimmage? I feel like a long field goal might have worked in that position.
1: Yeah, it would have been a long field goal. I can't remember exactly where they were. I think the line of scrimmage was around the 40. So maybe if he takes a sack, yeah, that would put them around the 35, maybe 33. Would have been about a 50-plus yard field goal, though. Not a gimme, especially outdoors, especially in the Midwest outdoors. So certainly wouldn't have been a gimme. And with the college football hash marks, there's even more of a variable to factor there. But yeah, maybe they do try a long field goal instead of Hail Mary. I think that there's a, a better chance of success with that than it would have been uh, in, a, in a Hail Mary situation. So yeah, I, I look, it was just a crazy game, a crazy ending and that's what rivalries are all about really and, and you, you mentioned the perfect uh the perfect uh, uh co- co- comparison excuse me was uh, auburn and alabama uh, a couple years ago when auburn ran that kick back however it was like 100 and plus yards for the touchdown
0: yeah that's the last special teams game walk-off play I, I can remember i just watched the video the michigan punter got hit with the ball in hand at the 40 yard line so that would have been a really long uh probably like a plus 55 yard field goal at that point so
1: yeah you're looking at about 57 yards you had about 17 yards to the line of scrimmage 10 for the end zone and then about seven for when they snap the ball back so it would have been about a 55 to 57 yards because some teams only it depends on what kind of formation and run some anywhere between 5 and 7 yards behind the line of scrimmage so you're looking at about a 55 to 57 yard field goal in Ann Arbor outdoors midwest
0: on long the left side of, on the left side of the hash as well yeah
1: yeah it, it would not have been a gimme but i think you try that instead of a hail mary i think you have a better chance at succeeding at that
0: yeah so that special teams play it's hard to that was a mistake by the players for sure a mistake was made let's talk about another special teams play that we saw in the nfl that was an actual coaching decision uh you you were watching the colts pats game right
1: yeah this was a different kind of mistake
0: yes i mean i feel bad for chuck pagano man (laughs) like what why why would you not i i understand you, you swing the gate from the fake punt you then have a center, a snapper, and a guy right under center at the ball. The rest of your nine guys are basically on the sideline. You have five, four Patriots right at the ball at the line of scrimmage still going to rush the passer. I get trying to do these full plays and then maybe catch the guys out of position. Clearly, they were not out of position. So why did you not just call a timeout and kick the punt. I mean, you weren't winning, you weren't losing that bad at that point. I mean, that was, you were still in this game. So why, what happened, Chris? (laughs) I don't understand what happened.
1: Well, first off, I got a few things to say about this punt. First off, the Patriots weren't out of position, uh, as you mentioned. They actually defended it perfectly. They had two guys over the ball, and then two guys kind of swinging in the middle. If you watch their pre-snap formation, they had guys that could recover in time, to get back and kind of play both sides, so they had a very good defense on the f- on 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 the play. Secondly, the Colts were out of position; they didn't have enough men on the line of scrimmage. So even if it was successful, it would have been called back for a penalty. Third, they didn't even run the formation right. The quarterback should be in the shotgun because without any blockers. To block guys on the line of scrimmage, the Patriots, as they did, can overload it. And as soon as the ball snapped, just gang tackle the guy under center... You're running out of the shotgun because there's no one to block. They had a three-to-two matchup on the line of scrimmage, so they didn't even run the right formation. They had, they didn't have enough guys on the line of scrimmage. They didn't run it out of the shotgun because your guy's completely overmatched and overwhelmed. And the Patriots had a very good defense, or as good a defense as possible, against that formation. So right there, one, two, three, you just take the delay of game. You don't want to burn your time out because you might need it later on. With when you're trailing the Patriots. Good chance you might need those timeouts later. Take the delay a game and punt or whatever. Take the flag because you don't need, you don't, don't care about the yards in the punting situation. But why did he snap the ball? And secondly, again, I, it's hard to blame Chuck Pagano for it. He made the call. He's got to own it. But at the same time, the players should have known what to do in that situation. So I guess you can blame Chuck Pagano because the players weren't prepared. But every – I mean the Colts just completely screwed that up on three different levels. And and See, I- that's the thing. Why, why would you get gimmicky when you're only down six, when your defense is playing pretty well considering you're playing the Patriots – and you're 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 doing everything right. You're winning a lot of key battles against the Patriots. Just play straight up, punt the ball, change field position, and let your defense keep playing the way it's playing.
0: Yeah, I I have to blame Chuck Pagano because this is a a a move that you make not against the Patriots. The Patriots are a well-coached team always. They're especially well coached on special teams. This is a move that you pull against, say, the Jaguars or the Titans, you know, a team that that might make a mistake. The Patriots aren't going to, to bite on that. Just try and beat them because like you said, they were in the game. I think Pagano, unfortunately, everyone's gonna remember this play as the key thing that happened in the game, but he called a, a, a relatively good game, the onside kick that that uh it, I think most from what you saw on the replay, you can assume that the Patriots did not recover that ball. I understand the rules in which you could not reverse the call that you made, giving it to Dante Moncrief. But it was pretty clear that Moncrief was grabbing that ball on the onside kick. Unfortunately, it went the other way for against Pagano. But that was a gutsy call and a call that almost worked for him. I mean, the Colts had the Patriots. LeGarrette Blunt miraculously only scored two touchdowns and only had 100 yards total of offense I mean that's a number that's way down from the last two meetings you've had so I mean the Colts had them why are you calling this trick play late in the game when it's a close game I have to put that on Chuck Bagan just for for calling that play
1: certainly I I think that the right call would have been not to get too clever play them straight up you were hanging with them straight up. You were at home. Your defense was playing well. Just play the game and keep going. Now, I can understand if they were down maybe two or three scores calling a play like that to try to ignite a spark. I could see that. But you had the Patriots right where you wanted them. Even though they were only down they were only down 6, still a winnable game, still anybody's game with a whole quarter to play. You had them right where you wanted them, and then you got cute, and you tried to get cute on a fourth and three on your own territory. And I just think that at that point, it just wasn't the right time. I loved the onside kick call, as you mentioned. That was great. I believe, even though they didn't recover, I think that was the drive the Patriots through the pick six. I can't remember 100%, though. Um, but, or maybe they called the onside kick after they got the pick six. Either yeah, way, I, think, I think it
0: was at, right after the pick six happened.
1: Yeah, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, you're right. I think I think they got the pick six, and then they called the onside kick, which would have been a great double whammy for them and really ignited the crowd and the team. I get it. That was a good special teams trick to play. This one, not so much. I, I just think that it was poorly executed, clearly. And it, it, you're right. It probably shouldn't have even been called.
0: Yeah. I feel bad for Chuck Pagano because I don't, uh, I think he's a really good guy. I don't. Th- I think he's on the hot seat and could be facing the exit at the end of this year.
1: Yeah, he's certainly on the hot seat, right or wrong. I- I- I'm always uneasy about firing coaches that have had success, and he's certainly had a lot of success in his first three years, took a team that was 2-14 and 14 to the playoffs. Obviously, Andrew Luck's a big part of that. But let's also be realistic. I think the guy should be on the bigger hot seat is their general manager, Ryan Gregson, who the last three years has made some very questionable personnel decisions other than drafting Andrew Buck. I think that's the only real draft pick or free agent signing that has been a home run for the Colts. Frank Gore has played well. Andre Johnson's been there. A lot of the guys that he's gone out and get got he's gone out and signed just haven't panned out. And I think trading a first-round draft pick for Trent Richardson, not a very smart move either. He has not equipped the Colts and Andrew Luck with a lot of things to, to to take that team to the next level, the talent needed to get to the Super Bowl level. I think he certainly is on the hot seat. Yeah,
0: I don't think he gets enough uh, heat for making that Trent Richardson trade. I mean, people forget that it was a first-round draft pick and they praise the Browns, but I don't... I really hear him get any bad press for making that move which I think he's certainly deserving of some uh, the other knock against Chuck Pagano and it's ex- totally not his fault is the fact that the Colts had Bruce Arians coach them for a little bit when he was dealing with his cancer and now Bruce Arians went to use that uh, coaching experience to get a job at Arizona and is now regarded as one of the better head coaches in the game so you're always going to have that kind of to look towards if you're a colts fan like what bruce bruce arians is doing in arizona And he's not his team isn't more successful, but I think In terms of the talent scale, he's doing more with a little bit of less in arizona. So That that's another knock That's something else that's working against pagano. It's something that he can't It's unfair that it is working against him, but it's there and the fact that bruce arians was once coaching the colts Instead of Pagano, it certainly has to be in some some of their minds.
1: Bruce Arians won Coach of the Year that year as the offensive coordinator, which was a great story. He did a fantastic job with the Colton, as you mentioned, came to Arizona. Now we can debate whether or not there's more overall talent on each team, but but we'll do that another time. I,
0: think I guess I guess less is expected of Arizona, but he's done more.
1: Certainly, I, I would agree with that. Um, but he, you know, he certainly had a ton of success, you know, 10 win season, 11 win season, made the playoffs on a third string quarterback. They lose kind of like Ohio State did last year, lose all their quarterbacks get to the playoffs, but unlike Ohio State, this is the NFL, You can't just ride your third stringer to a title. And so you know, I think they definitely overachieved last year winning 11 games with all the quarterback turnover they had. And you look at them now with Carson Palmer, they are just they're looking like a pretty serious force probably one that not should probably be getting a little more credit than they are but yeah I, I don't I definitely think that that plays into it you know you had you got to see what Bruce Arians did with Indianapolis I'm sure some Colts fans are wondering man we should have kept him and got rid of Pagano right then and there that would have been one of the coldest moves in sports guy gets cancer and another guy takes his job but <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there, I don't think any team alive would have done that just for the PR backlash, but I am sure there are some Colts fans out there that are thinking, man, I wish we had a Arenas right now.
0: No, certainly. I, I can't, I mean, I'm not blaming them for not f- firing Pagana in that situation. It has to be in some of their minds, though. Yeah, the Cardinals are are, are a good team and have proven that for a couple of years now. And They did lose to Mike Vick, Landry Jones Steelers this last week. So I'm not, I don't know what to make of that, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Chris, what other college football games did you watch this weekend?
1: Well, I watched, I mean, I actually watched a lot of college football games. There were a lot of good ones on, but the big one outside of Michigan, Michigan state, at least the the one that turned into a big one, probably wasn't a big one going in, but Memphis, our sister's alma mater stepping up is 6-0, knocking off Old Miss. Probably one of the biggest wins in Memphis's football history because, as far as I can remember, they haven't been that good. They're 6-0 and right now. They're the highest-ranked team in the American, which is saying something this year because there are three undefeated teams in the American, and they're all ranked in the top 25. So the American Athletic Conference stepping up and really producing some quality teams did you? you. I know. I think you watched more of this game than I did because you were kind of texting me during it, and I kind of turned over. What did you think of the game?
0: I, I thought it was a really entertaining game. Uh, first off, Justin Fuente, the the Memphis coach, I think he's done a really good job the last couple years. Memphis has one of the longest win streaks in in the nation. They haven't lost uh, for about a calendar year now, and he coached a really good game. He's probably going to be a hot coach come the off season. Their quarterback's going to be a hot name come the offseason, Paxton Lynch, a guy that's 6'7", can run, can throw, and he was making big throws all day. You know, a lot of people, and myself included, didn't realize just how close these two schools are to each other. It's an hour-and-a-half drive from Oxford, Mississippi to Memphis. So I have to imagine that Ole Miss recruits a lot out of Memphis, that a lot of these players know each other. Um, because of how conference play has expanded and, and taken out some games, Memphis and Ole Miss don't really play that much, but they used to play a lot. And this Memphis is the little brother in this situation, and it it it's not an official rivalry, but it's de- there's definitely some bad blood in there. Hugh Freeze, the Ole Miss coach, famously was a high school coach in Memphis. If you read or watched The Blind Side, you'll remember that. Um, so the, these guys all know each other. This had the feeling of a rivalry game. It was in Memphis. It had the feeling of a trap game, and Memphis came out big. Hugh Freeze made a big mistake in running Robert Camdiche on offense for a play, which resulted in him getting a concussion, which then resulted in Memphis being able to run the ball up the middle. Uh, that was... I understand the cuteness of it saying, oh, look, just how athletic Kemdichi is for the NFL draft, but it was a close game. Don't mess around with it. You need that guy on defense. He's ranked as the best run-stuffing defensive tackle in the game right now. You need that guy. Don't, don't mess around with him playing running back. Uh, that seemed to be a big mistake, but it was a good game all around for sure.
1: Certainly, and the other thing that really helps the American – You're looking at the big picture, Boise State's loss to Utah State. Because Boise State has been the darling of the non-BCS teams. They get the benefit of the doubt even with one loss. Well, now that they have two losses and there are three undefeated teams in another non-Power 5 conference, they are essentially the Broncos eliminated from getting a New Year's 6 bowl I think the winner of the American will ultimately get it unless there's a scenario where they beat each other up to the point that Toledo can sneak in as an undefeated, which I would like to see being from Ohio. So... An intriguing race for that bid that goes to the non-power five champion between those three teams in Toledo. Certainly something to keep an eye on down the stretch. I would have to think the American has the inside track on that because you're going to get to play three ranked teams as opposed to Toledo playing up against the MAC, which is unfortunate for the Rockets, but it's the way it works. But yeah, I, I actually getting back to the the game would compare based on what you're saying the Memphis Ole Miss sort of rivalry with Cincinnati Ohio State. You know, there's a lot of animosity between Cincinnati and Ohio State, but they don't play every year for whatever reason, political reasons, things like that. You know, Ohio State not wanting to schedule them every year and all that fun stuff that goes on with the college football schedule. But when they do play, there is some bad blood and, and it certainly shows on the field. They they, you know, it, it feels like a rivalry game, at least from the perspective of Cincinnati and you know i know ohio state fans don't particularly want to lose to cincinnati because cincinnati likes to jab at them every time that they go that they lose and things like that so i guess it sounds like a strong comparison to that kind of rivalry it doesn't happen all the time but when it does there's a lot of bad blood because of the regional ties
0: yeah i don't think anyone would call it a rivalry except for maybe the underdog who just hates hates the other team and all the credit that they get so It was good, and it was good to see that Memphis came up on top and that they're getting rewarded for being undefeated. Ranked 18th to go unranked to number 18. That's a big jump.
1: Very big jump. And then on the flip side, Ole Miss was at once three in the nation. And, you know, when they beat Alabama, one thing I said was, you know, it's easy to get up and play the, you know, nobody believes in us chip. But once you play that chip and take the crown – then everyone plays that chip against you, and you're seeing that some of these teams that aren't used to wearing the crown can falter a bit. This the second year in a row it's happened to Ole Miss. They've got up into that playoff ranking, a top four team last year, and then kind of faltered down the stretch. So, you know, there there is something to yeah. be said about these teams that have always been there before, like Alabama, like Ohio State, that have are used to getting everyone's best shot.
0: Certainly, Ole Miss can is a serious playoff buster at this point. That second loss is out of conference, so they do have the tie break against Alabama and they will play at LSU later. They could end up winning that SEC West with two losses and then throwing the entire playoff picture into disarray. They're not out of SEC contention. You could argue that they're probably out of playoff contention, but Uh, They can seriously mess some things up, especially for the SEC.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I was looking at a lot of the matchups down the stretch. And if you look at this top 12, even if you expand it out to 13 with Florida, there is going to be a lot of bloodshed over the next month and a half. First off, obviously, we've been talking Baylor and TCU forever Utah and Stanford would play if they both win their divisions in the Pac-12 title game. You got to think if that happens, that's going to decide a playoff spot. You got to think if Baylor TCU win out, that's going to decide a playoff spot. Ohio State will play Michigan and Michigan State and Iowa, assuming Iowa does what it does against the cakewalk schedule it has for the next five games in the last three games of its season. That'll sort itself out. Then you've got Notre Dame, who also plays Stanford. You have Clemson, who also who plays Florida State. So a lot of attrition coming for these top 12 to 15 teams. And I could see a scenario that gets really, really bloody or really, really clean. And Ole Miss, playing in that SEC West with the head-to-head over Alabama, would still control its own destiny for the SEC West title. So if it wins out, it would shut Alabama and LSU out of the SEC title game and under that scenario you could potentially have a playoff without an SEC team in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it it that is a very real scenario at this point and if the SEC East plays out like uh the favorite should, it would be a rematch between Ole Miss and Florida. I don't I'm not sure if if Florida beating Ole Miss for the second time if that's enough to propel them into the playoff picture. Florida still has to get through their schedule as well. The rivalry game against Georgia soon, but yeah, that, that's a very real possibility at this point. Uh, I think a lot of people, people that champion the SEC, are, are are concerned about Mississippi losing Memphis just for that reason, not because of the embarrassment of it, but because of what could happen next in the future. Because Ole Miss is a really good team that had that had a bump, a bump in the road now they're back to being the underdog can play LSU like they're the underdog and can can ruin the SEC's chances it's it's a very interesting and possible scenario
1: i think the next i think this playoff race is going to be a lot more bloody than last year's last year the committee got a break it was a pretty nice and easy fix it was essentially whoever wins these conference championship games are going in unless there's a huge upset or something like that And everyone did what they were supposed to do. I'm just getting a feeling. Based on how this season has played out. That the storm is coming. Winter is coming. To quote Game of Thrones. And just like in Game of Thrones. It's going to be. Just as bloody. As that television show. I think that there is going to be a lot of just. Chaos. Heads rolling. Things happening. Just looking at how all of the top 15 is going to play each other. Oklahoma State, a team we haven't talked about much at all, they could be a one-man wrecking crew on the Big 12's chances. Oklahoma, again, could be losing to Texas, but if they come back and win everything, could wreck the Big 12 too. So we've got some wrecking balls out there, some legitimate wrecking balls that could come through and really shake things up as things play out
0: yeah absolutely um just from the weekend though did you have a chance to watch uh lsu florida alabama a ucla stanford that happened on thursday i think any other games that you watched
1: i did not see ucla stanford i saw the other two or parts of it because i was flipping between ohio state and and lsu so you missed Very-
0: the you missed the best skilled play of the weekend then did you see the catch that the stanford wide receiver made I
1: did miss that, but I saw that highlight. like, that was insane.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately for him, I'm sure Michigan, Michigan State, that's the play of the week. But that that has to be the most skilled play of the week. Absolutely. <laughs> it was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I, I think, Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I, I stopped watching the Alabama A&M game after a while because it kind of got a little out of hand. Um, I was impressed with Florida playing with their backup quarterback against LSU. I thought they looked very good. It's um, I mean, look, the guy tested positive for PEDs. You had to suspend him. But that's another wrinkle, too, them losing their quarterback. Uh, Florida looked like a team that could make some noise in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, uh, Will Greer, the the way he played to start the year, they were looking really good, and I think they got the bump from having hiring a new coach in Jim McElwain. I mean, Florida has never been criticized for not having talent on that roster. It was mostly just the offense not being able to move the ball during those uh, Will Muschamp years. And it looks like they found something in, in Greer and with that running attack. The, the guy allegedly put on 47 pounds of muscle in three months. So um, it's hard not to, not to feel bad for that guy. I mean, that that's a, an interesting story. And there are also reports that florida might have known about it for a little bit so you know keep posted about what exactly happened with will greer and, and those peds but uh, yeah it was impressive that they hang, hang, hung so close with lsu which uh looks to be the favorite to win that sec west with uh leonard fournette reading leading the attack so pretty impressive that uh harris the backup quarterback who is once the the starting quarterback so he does have experience that he could hang tight, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to sustain what Will Greer was sustaining with Florida leading the way. Alabama, three pick sixes against Texas A&M, and then Derrick Henry, 236 yards. Uh, Given Alabama, 21 points is never uh, a good way to win. Uh, A lot of people, some people thought this was going to be a trap game for Alabama, and they've had trouble with Texas A&M, but uh, that defense had a feast in College Station.
1: And in two weeks, next week Alabama and LSU play, you know, Alabama plays Tennessee, LSU plays a cupcake, but they both have a bye to get ready for their big showdown on November 7th. So, very huge game in the SEC coming up in just two weeks here. That is a big rivalry. Those two teams have had a lot of success. It's a bloodbath usually. So, that's a game that I'm really looking forward to and we're two weeks away from it. So should be a, well, it's definitely going to go a long way to deciding uh, who gets in and who gets out of the college football playoff. I do want to say one last thing, and it's a memo to CBS. Stop with this whole best game in the best conference thing. If you're going (laughs) to do it, actually choose the best game in the best conference. LSU Florida was the best game in the conference that weekend. This whole Alabama-Texas A&M thing, I understand you made it in the preseason, but you, if you're going to use the slogan, it's got to be the best game, and you didn't have the best game this week, so stop it. Just cut it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that, that slogan angers any fan that's not an SEC fan, <laughs> I mean, and it that happens a lot of times uh the the cbs game that they have for the sec is is rarely the best game that they have that the sec is playing that week um i personally can't stand those announcers either they are kind of frustrating but yeah i i I agree with you on that if they're going to talk the big talk they need to uh to actually show the the best game
1: Couple more quick points just looking at the rankings and thinking of some things. Stanford, we talked about this off the air, but five straight wins after losing to Northwestern back in the top 10, which is great for Northwestern because it just lost two games in a row to Iowa and Michigan. So it can feel good that it beat a top 10 team. And Michigan and Iowa can feel good that they're beating a Northwestern team that's pretty good beating Stanford. So all that sort of the the transitive property of scheduling. uh, Iowa is really going to hope Northwestern wins a lot of games. Because if you look at Iowa's schedule, they're 7-0. They have played absolutely nobody. And they won't play anybody. They don't play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State. They skip the three best teams in the Big Ten. And they won't play any of them until the the, the title game because I can't see a scenario where one of those three teams doesn't win the Big Ten East. So, if I was 12-0... That'll look really good for whoever wins the East if they beat them, but it would probably be one of the weakest 12-0 teams in history that potentially could not have a single ranked win on its schedule if Northwestern doesn't get back into the top 25.
0: Yeah, just looking at Northwestern's schedule, I mean, at Nebraska home against Penn State, at Wisconsin's probably their biggest challenge. Uh, Wisconsin is having trouble scoring, but uh, nobody's really scoring against Wisconsin either the past couple weeks, so hopefully northwestern can win out for you but i wouldn't hold my breath on it um yeah stanford though kevin hogan has looked like a new man since uh the stanford offense couldn't do anything against northwestern in evanston that week one they've moved the ball really well they've opened up their offense they don't look like the typical uh like power eye stanford team that we've seen in the past few years they're actually throwing it a lot their running back isn't you know, Toby Gerhardt, It's uh, they actually have kind of an electric running back right now. So they're putting up points and they're playing really well. Uh, who would have thought Utah and Stanford are on a collision course in the Pac-12? I would be. I would like to meet the person that picked that. Uh, in I the think preseason, most,
1: I think people may have picked Stanford. I think it's the Utah half of that equation that didn't get a lot of uh, votes.
0: Yeah, you know, I think Utah is definitely the surprising one and looks like the the better one of the two at this point, at least in the rankings. Um, yeah, it, the Pac-12, I think, uh, had that reputation that they could have a lot of teams ranked, but they also had the reputation of nobody really knows who the number one is. And that's kind of coming to fruition this this season
1: quick correction on iowa i lied they did beat pittsburgh as well so pittsburgh is ranked right now could be ranked so they got some candidates there but while we're reading our schedules look at this for them maryland indiana minnesota purdue nebraska wow
0: there's their last yeah.
1: five games um one qu- more quick thought on the big 10 penn state ohio state beat them pretty convincingly they finally, for the first time, looked like the number one team. But talking about Penn State, they're quietly 5-2. and two. A lot of people wrote them off after they lost to Temple. But now that we see Temple is 6-0, oh, undefeated and ranked, Penn State's only two losses are to two pretty good teams. Don't sleep on them possibly spoiling someone. I'm not saying that they're going to beat both Michigan teams, but don't sleep on them possibly pulling an upset because the Nitty Lions are quietly getting things together
0: yeah that's interesting I, I for all the hate they've been getting it's it is surprising to hear that they are five and two um yeah that's interesting and and they, they do have a good home field advantage supposedly they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Hackenberg uh, I say supposedly I'm not exactly sold on him but yeah it's interesting and for Pittsburgh they got a big showdown against Notre Dame coming up so uh, for you I guess cheer for Pittsburgh to win that and make iowa look even better
1: yeah that would be nice i guess i don't think i'd pick that though i think notre dame's looking really good that's another team that could wreck the playoffs because they're not in a conference so
0: yeah they have future matchups against ranked temple at ranked pittsburgh and at ranked stanford so they have plenty of chances to uh to make some noise in the playoff
1: and what about this though what if the american produces an undefeated champion and say it's a team like Temple that has wins over a potentially nine and three Penn State team and a Notre Dame team and two other ranked teams. How do you evaluate that? Do you put them in the playoffs? Because there's a scenario where an American champion could have a lot of ranked wins.
0: I can only hope. I, I I love it. The arguments that start happening late in the year with all the teams jockeying for position. So I do hope that that happens and that we have eight teams that deserve a shot at the playoff and hopefully that. Whips NCAA into shape into getting us an 18 playoff, which I think would be perfect.
1: Amen to that. One last final last, I've said that a lot, quick note. The rankings. The committee does not go by these. These polls, they use them as a guide. So the committee can do whatever it wants. So just because three American teams are ranked low doesn't necessarily mean the committee will rank them low. The committee is not going to use the poll. The poll is like the stock market. You have an initial start, and it goes up and down with the time. The committee is going to look at a holistic approach. So these rankings might not be exactly what the committee is thinking. It's going to be interesting when they release their first batch of rankings coming up soon now. I'm going to be excited to see how they evaluate some of these teams that have had strong seasons, even though they didn't start in the top 25.
0: Wouldn't you love to be on that committee? Or at I least just like a... l- or at least listen to what they're talking about. Like what... I would
1: love to like be involved with the whole process. I, would, I, I it, would, it would be amazing. NCAA, hook me up, man.
0: I would not yeah, well, let you down. What what's the difference between us and Condoleezza Rice and Archie Manning? I mean, there's not well, much difference, you know.
1: Aside from the fact that they're big names and Archie Manning played in the NFL and Condoleezza Rice was Secretary of State. No, they're not different at all.
0: Yeah, there's no difference. We are just as qualified.
1: (laughs) Hey, man, that would be cool if they had a fan on the committee. They should. They add a chair and put a fan on the committee. That would be cool.
0: They should. That'd be sweet. I mean, I think that would go a long way. Well, the allegiance that that fan had would come into question, but... I think that would be sweet, and that would well, go a long way in public tell me relations. You can Archie
1: Manning's not going to champion for Ole Miss if Ole Miss were in the top three. I mean, come on, like, and and Lisa Rice went to Stanford. I mean, they all have allegiances. I'm sure. Okay, yeah, they, they do a good job, but but let's just be realistic. I mean, they're going to come in a little bit.
0: No, you're right. You're right. But I think that would be sweet if a fan was. They should have that. They, they should definitely have that.
1: Hey, college football, another good idea, and we get it would really increase fan involvement to try to be that fan on the committee. I would love it. I would love it. If I could be on that committee, even for one year, especially this year, because I think this year is going to be a crazy year. I I think it's going to be bloody down the stretch. I don't think it's going to be a clean and pretty pitcher. I can only hope that my Buckeyes are 13 and 0 and don't have to worry about the chaos, but we will see. We have packed a ton into this podcast, a lot of baseball, a lot of football. So thank you for making it to the end. I hope we kept your attention. But, unfortunately, we are out of time. We'll be back next week with another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Sports.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Sports. Follow us on Instagram, Fenley, Sports, And come back to Sports.com for more content. We'll get some blogs up for you. And, of course, subscribe on iTunes. What Are You Talking About? presented by Sports.com. Search Sports.com or just follow the link on FenleyRoadsSports.com. But, Thank you again for listening and come back next week.
0: All right. I'll see you, Chris.
1: Take care, Bob.